So there is an elephant in the room that we have not addressed on Usable thus far this week, uh, despite it being of paramount importance to one of the hosts. Mm. I I didn't know how to address this. So Taylor Swift's obviously not coming to New Zealand. Uh, she has announced her the, the rest of her world tour dates. New Zealand not on the list. Were you distraught out of interest? See, this is why I didn't know how to address it, because I was not, because I will be dipping into my savings mm -hmm. to go and see her in Australia. <laughs> However, not everyone is going to be lucky enough to be able to do that, and mm -hmm. I appreciate that, and therefore I will come up with a way to contact her management. That is a big claim from yeah. me, but I promise. I'm going to eyebrows you right I now. I will write a letter next <laughs> week. I'm going to spend this weekend formulating my arguments. I like this plan, and um, if people have any suggestions for lines that they want Imo to include on that letter, maybe we could crowdsource some. So um, if, if you're struck by brilliance, email us, newsboyatstuff.co.nz. But uh, shall we get on with the show? Shall we? Kia ora, this is Newsboy. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. He's one of our greatest rugby minds. Sir Graham Henry's on the show to preview the Super Rugby final, and he tells us which team he thinks is scary ahead of the World Cup. Also, the Australian government has issued a please explain to one of the world's biggest and most controversial social media platforms. We're chatting to the Kiwi company that's just been named one of Time's top 100 most influential. And as always, we impart <laughs> the gift of whimsical knowledge upon you with Fun Fact Friday. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. All right, well, the Super Rugby final is coming up this weekend, Saturday night in the metropolis of Hamilton. Yeah, the city of the future, I believe. It's an all-Kiwi affair, Crusaders v Chiefs, in what should be a positively bruising encounter. Both teams are saying farewells to some players and the Crusaders to legendary coach Scott Robertson. And with us now to preview the game is World Cup winning former coach Sir Graham Henry. Kia ora, Graham. Kia ora. Who's going to win? Could this be the year we see the trophy ripped away from the Crusaders? Well, I think that's why it's such a great game. We're not sure who's going to win, are we? You know, the, the Chiefs have been the front runners all season. I think they're finding being front runners a wee bit difficult. They haven't had that experience before. Mm. So their last two games, they've struggled a bit. And the Crusaders have hit form at the right time. So they've got huge momentum. Played brilliantly against the Blues, I thought, last week. And so maybe they are, they're the favourites going into this. They've got, they've got history. They've got a lot of titles. They know what it's like to win titles. The Chiefs haven't had that same experience, so maybe they're the, they're the favourites going in. Graham, what are the key pressure points for you, the, the thematic matchups that you think will decide the game? Oh, I think the first 20 minutes might decide the game. You know, I think the Crusaders um, come out of the blocks uh, very well. You know, they were, they were hugely dominant against the Blues. Uh, last weekend, um, and they started so well, the Blues couldn't hang on to them. So I think, you know, that if the Chiefs are going to be in the game, they're going to have to start equally as well. It comes back to really down to who, who can dominate up front and mm -hmm. set a platform. You know, they've both got uh, outstanding 5'8s, Richie Mawanga and Damien McKenzie, so they've got quality guys behind to run the ship. It's just... Who's going to provide the platform up front that's going to be best, I guess? What's been your assessment of the season in the widest state of rugby here in Australia and in the Pacific? 
Oh, I think we've had some great games, but we've had some mismatches as well. And I see that New Zealand and Australia rugby are looking at having a separate organisation to run Super Rugby and have a draft system. I think, you know, having even teams is very important and some of the teams haven't been that competitive because they simply haven't got the players to be competitive. So I think that's a good step in the right direction going forward and there's a lot of talk about that right now. Uh, some of the big games have been great and it'll be a fantastic game in the weekend. So just evening up the competition so you get even fixtures most weekends and you're not sure who's going to win and I think that that makes it hugely interesting and, and draws in the fans. That's a really interesting point, Graham, because we talked to Steve Hansen last week and he, he said similar things about this, mm. that, um, you know, for the health of the game... Uh, this sort of rugby, not club rugby, but sort of super rugby, franchise rugby, needs to move to what I guess you might describe as kind of like a more market-based economy where there is more player trading, maybe something more similar to the, the Premier League or or even the NRL. What what do you make of that? I agree. I think that there should be a trading system, if you like, uh, to make sure that the sides are reasonably even. If you look at the, at the um, contract finance for each team is quite a big difference between, say, the, the Crusaders and the Highlanders. Probably, you know, I'm not sure what that figure would be, but it'd be very significant. And then, then that reflects the quality of the two sides. So having equal finance for each team uh, going forward so that results in pretty even competitions, I think will be a very positive thing. Sir Graham Henry, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. All the best. We had such a great chat with Sir Graham. We'll be putting the whole thing out as a bonus episode. You can grab that a little later today to find out what he thinks about Ian Foster's squad for the Rugby Championship. The team he thinks is scary ahead of the Rugby World Cup as well is revealed. So to get that delivered right to you, give us a follow on your favourite podcast platform. Now, we are going to be chatting four-day working weeks a bit later on, so we want to know if you want a four-day work week. Get in touch. You can find us on TikTok or Insta. Search for Newsable NZ. And if you want to email us, you reckons, on a four-day week, go on, go ahead and do it. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. Now, we want to head across the ditch because Australia is picking a fight with Twitter. The Aussies have issued a please explain to Elon Musk's social media platform because complaints about Twitter to Australia's e-safety authority have soared since Musk took over last year. Emil, tell us what's going on. Yes. Well, as you mentioned in that excellent introduction, thank you. Uh, Australia's e-safety commissioner says there's been more complaints to her agency about online hate on Twitter than any other platform in the past year, which will come as no surprise to anybody who uses Twitter. Uh, One in three complaints about online hate, in fact, are related to that platform. Um, The commissioner notes specific concerns around anti-Semitic content and uh, what they say are harmful tweets directed towards Indigenous Australians and members of the Rainbow community too. The e-safety commissioner argues all of this has happened since more than 62,000 previously banned accounts 
were reactivated. Mm. And also after Twitter axed thousands of staff members, we don't know the exact number on that, but it's reportedly at least 1,500. She says these are clear factors in the deterioration of monitoring and standards and possibly civility on the platform too. (laughs) Um, Fun fact here though, uh, the e-safety commissioner... Yeah, exactly. Uh, the e-safety commissioner actually reportedly once worked for Twitter. So oh, there you go. wow. Well, there you go. So she'll know a thing or two about it. But hang on, what power does an e-safety commissioner have to demand answers? How does this even work? A decent amount of power, actually. Under Australian law, the e-safety commissioner has the power to demand information about internal policies and procedures of companies. And that is pretty, that's pretty much what's happening here. The commission has asked Twitter to spell out exactly what it's doing to tackle online hate. And Twitter has 28 days to comply, uh, to show and tell what it's doing, or it will face fines of, get ready. Wow. What is it? Around 750000 New Zealand dollars every day past that deadline, which Ooh. is probably what Elon Musk spends on bacon, you know. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Speaking of Elon Musk, any response from Twitter? Yes and no. The Australian uh, public broadcaster, the ABC, reports it tried to contact Twitter via an old media email address um, because it doesn't seem to have one for media inquiries anymore. And all it got back was an automated reply, which was the smiling poo emoji. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no! So, uh, no, it doesn't look like Twitter's responded to any other requests for coming to this stage. How does anyone take it seriously? I don't think they do. Now, Emma and I will square off in a vicious intellectual battle of wills in a bit, as per usual on Fun Fact Friday. But if you're enjoying what you are hearing, remember to chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. A Kiwi company has just been named in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential Companies list. Yeah, this is a pretty big deal. The list also includes the likes of Apple, uh, SpaceX, Disney, TikTok, and now New Zealand business four-day week global. This is the firm championing the end of the Monday to Friday grind and instead pushing for more of us to have a four-day work week. Joining us now to hopefully convince our boss that this is definitely something we should be doing is the man himself, Four Day Week Global's co-founder, Andrew Barnes. Kia ora, how are you going? Kia ora, Imogen. I'm good, thank you. Great to be here. This is something nice to add to the CV, isn't it? But do you think this could mean the idea of a four-day working week will get more momentum? Oh, look, I think so. You know, we started this in Perpetual Guardian back in 2018. And I think at the time we were regarded as these mad hobbits at the bottom of the world who were coming up with a really crazy idea. Um, But we got global headlines at the time when we were doing it. We were the second most read story in the New York Times after the Trump-Putin summit. Um, But it was a mad idea. 
Now, fast forward five years, um, we think the global audience is about five billion, and we're starting to see countries, not just companies, come on the four-day week journey. Tell us a bit about this, Andrew. You know, how many places, countries, businesses are actually using this model now? Because I think I saw Portugal's recently announced it's it's giving it a crack in some incarnation. Yeah, look, we've we've engaged with over ten thousand individual businesses ourselves uh, over the last few years, but now you've got uh, legislation in Romania, Lithuania, Belgium. The UAE has gone to four day week. There are policies in place in Japan, in India. There are government-sponsored pilots in Portugal, Spain, Ireland. There is a bill before Congress. There are bills before four states of America to reduce working hours. Uh, And just recently, the Senate Select Committee in Australia on Work and Care recommended that Australia trial a four-day week as well. So it's coming to a company and a country near you. It's not such a mad idea anymore, is it? Everyone seems to be picking it up. What are the benefits and then what are the results as well that you've seen from places, from businesses that have trialled it? Well, at its heart, there is this concept we call the 180-100 rule. 100% of five-day pay, 80% of five-day time, um, provided you get 100% productivity and customer service. So what we're seeing is when companies trial it, that actually productivity goes up. Sick days halve. Uh, The number of people who say that they're less stressed um, goes up by about 40%. People are healthier, happier, more engaged. You know, who'd have thought healthier, happier employees would be more productive? Um, And so what we're seeing is that this is a win-win-win. It's not just good for employees. It's actually good for companies, and they're becoming better as a consequence. Andrew Barnes, co-founder of a New Zealand business that is now one of Time magazine's 100 most influential. Well done, and thanks for chatting. Thank you. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I what, think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Okay, Nothing in there. there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. I never know what to say, and every week I feel like I just say, it's time. I, I was going to say ring-a-ding-ding, and then uh, I was like, there isn't really a fun fact, clicks. And... Uh, but it is time, uh, that time on a Friday. Well, I mean, I'm creeping back up there, aren't I? It's yeah, 9-6 look, at this point in time, I think. I've had, a sh- I've had a shaky couple of weeks. All right, do you want to kick off this week? Apparently, apparently, apparently this is a look behind the curtain for listeners. Uh, Imogen's fun fact made producer Philip a chortle. Um, so, that, and that is an achievement, let me tell you. Well, it's so, not exactly a funny haha, but it is, I, I, it is a funny. The first person ever charged for speeding was travelling a very reckless 13 kilometres an hour. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, my God, talk me through that. This was back in 1896. Uh-huh. Uh, on the 28th of January, in fact, uh, Walter Arnold in the UK in Kent was on his German-made Benz at the time, 
and he was going a reckless eight miles per hour in a two-mile-per-hour zone. Uh, so he was chased by the local cop who was on horse, I think, maybe a bicycle. What do Probably you know? easily what caught up to him. Yeah. yeah, easily caught up to him and, uh, and charged with speeding. That's fascinating. Reckless that, driving. That's great. <laughs> that's a great fact. There's an excellent fun fact. Well done. Um, Okay, my fun fact this week. Uh, I'll ask you this question, actually, and I hope you don't get it right. Um, if I asked you to name the world's biggest tyre manufacturer. What Michelin Man. Michelin. Michelin Man. Michelin, Michelin yes. would be up there. Yeah. Michelin. And the, I mean, Dunlop, maybe. Oh, yeah, I forget. Yeah. Um, Bridgestone would be up there, too. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my catalogue of tyre makers is, oh. f- is quite far at the back of the cabinet in my brain. It's perfectly fair. Um, none of these are correct, though. Right. Um, or even close to create, but the world's biggest tire manufacturer by far is uh, Lego. Really? Yeah. Lego it's got the Guinness World Record for the most prolific tire manufacturer back in 2011. Um, it's just because of the baby tires that uh, they make. Uh, yes, yeah. Well, it, it claims it makes more than 700 million tires every year um, from its Instagram. Uh, Bridgestone is its nearest competitor with a, <laughs> uh, a frankly pathetic uh, 190 million. Uh, which they should be ashamed of. I and feel um, like... to, to, to your point, like th- these are actually like yes, bona fide mini tires. Like the the the, the rubber <laughs> compound used to make them is is considered by Guinness World Records to be like an actual legit tire. So this is loopholing at well, its uh, finest. Hey, at if it's, it's good enough known. for Guinness, it's good enough for me. <laughs> but it is loopholing at its finest. I admire the fact that they were like, hang on. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we are the greatest. Tire maker. Can you imagine the, the reaction of seen. Bridgestone just being like, "This every is year, bullshit." Every year, trying to top the targets. That is brilliant. That is funny. And shot Lego for 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 yeah. realizing that you are indeed the biggest manufacturer of tires. Anyway, uh, two two fun facts. I, I, yeah, that is a great fun fact week. Head to our Instagram page. We'll have a poll up on the old Instagram story. Vote for your favourite. And I think on that note, that's newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emile Donovan. Thanks very much for listening. We've got a special episode out tomorrow about the gun register coming into effect. Mm. So tune into that. And uh, apart from that, have a great weekend. We'll catch you Monday. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.